0: Go. Hello, welcome everyone. Good morning from Australia. Good evening to everyone in London and Europe. And good afternoon to our friends in the US. Uh, very happy and honored to be introducing our guest today, Mr. Ben Renshaw. Ben is a speaker, coach, consultant, and popular author of eight books, including uh, Purpose, Lead, and Super Coaching. Ben's innovative work with companies such as BT, Heathrow, Heinz, IHG, um, Sainsbury and Unilever has brought him into international acclaim. I've personally had the pleasure of hearing Ben speak at a live event and spending time with Ben. I'm excited for everyone who's tuning in today, and I'm sure you'll be inspired by what Ben has to say. So without further ado, Ben, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Oh, look, it's fantastic. And it's so wonderful to be connected across the world at this time. And I think very, uh, very appropriate that we're talking about purpose. Because, you know, my experience in the moment, There's a, people are really questioning, you know, where are they going? What does it mean? What's the point? Why do they do what they do? And I think, you know, hopefully today in our conversation, we can just shed a bit of light for people on what really matters.
0: Brilliant. Well, um, I have two quick questions for you. So could you explain to everyone firstly, you know, what you do and your philosophy behind what you do?
1: Sure. Um, quickly, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a little bit of background and context, just just kind of where I came from. Yes. So, you know, I, I started life out actually as a classical musician. I was a, a violinist, and I grew up in a, a little international music school just outside London. And we had children from all over the world. Uh, and at the time, we actually had two two children at the school the only children there from outside communist China at the time. So it's a very niche environment. It was very performance focused, Um, but I I was not happy. And um, and I think that kind of gave me a foundation of, I I was good, I was talented, but it was not my passion. And then when I I left school, I started traveling and I, I stumbled into the world of personal development and it took me genuinely about 15 20 years i would suggest to to really really discover my own sense of purpose and that took me you know on on lots of travels and uh, a lot of heartbreak a lot of adventure um but then you mentioned one of the companies i work with ihg intercontinental hotels group and this was about 15 years ago and At the time, they were the largest hotel company in the world in terms of number of rooms. And they were changing their strategy. They were going asset light. They were selling off all their hotels across the world. They have brands like Holiday Inn and Holiday Inn Express and Intercon and Crown Plaza. And they created a core purpose for the company called Great Hotels Guest Love. And uh, uh, I I partnered with them to create a leadership program. If the idea was for the company to be purpose-led, what does that mean for its leaders? And and little did I know, I created a program called Leading with Purpose. And 10 years later, I'd had the the real privilege of developing over a 1,000 leaders globally to really help them discover their own sense of purpose and how do they align that with their work in the company. So really what underlines my work, there's several key component pieces. So number one is about this discovery of purpose, which really is about your intrinsic motivation, why you do what you do. I think that's fundamental then I think it's very important to lift up and have a clear sense of your own personal vision in terms of actually what does great look like for you? What is your dream? And how do you then go about the creation of that? Another component is about your values. What's really important to you? How do you live your values every day? Another component is around your strengths. Where do you get your energy from? What's your vitality? What is the best version of you? And those are some you know, really, really fundamental constructs that I work with people, put them in place upon which they have a framework then to explore their work, their life and their relationships.
0: Brilliant. I mean, last time we met, uh, you were brought in as a guest speaker to Australia. We were on the sunny Gold Coast and, uh, you know, we, we heard what you had to say and we were all inspired. And I think it was two months before the pandemic hit home and uh I mean since then I, I'm interested to know how has life changed for you personally because I saw I think on your LinkedIn that you were putting out you know some daily vlogs that were I think helping people in in that real time of fear and and uncertainty um, of
1: Absolutely, and thank you. And yeah, look, it was oh, it feels like a lifetime away, <laughs> just being on the Gold Coast and and spending time with yourselves. But look, from a work perspective, I mean, yeah, when 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 the pandemic hit, it was absolute chaos. And uh, you know, the majority of the clients that I, I work with now, I work a lot. In, um, in like infrastructure, aviation, hospitality. These businesses were devastated. I mean, literally, they fell off a cliff. So one of my main clients is Heathrow Airport. airport. It's our national airport. They normally, you know, serve 78 million passengers a year. Well, they, they fell down to about 10% capacity. They had to shut two terminals. Since then, they've had to lay off nearly 50% of senior managers. I mean, it is a nightmare. So I think what we saw originally was panic, um, naturally high anxiety, uh, as, as people were just trying to, to react and respond. Yeah. I think so that, that went, really went through till September. Then what I saw was after the summer, there was people had acclimatized a bit, um, where people had been fortunate enough to retain jobs or that in our country, they'd been furloughed in the UK. Um. So then companies were starting to look at, okay, you know, we need to stabilise, we, we we need to find a way through. So I think uh, coming up to Christmas, you know, that was the trajectory. Mm. Then, of course, in the UK, we hit another lockdown. So that re- for what I've really seen since Christmas, resilience levels have been really hit, well-being, mental health. Uh, this is top of the agenda. And now the number one thing for companies here is back to work. People are so ter- either terrified of going back to work, so safety is absolutely top of the agenda, or of course what's happened is people are working in very dynamic ways, different ways. So again, how are companies going to respond to enable people uh, not to just, you know, you know, have to just show up to work for the sake of it, but actually yeah. what are the conditions for doing their best work? And just on that, as an example, I was speaking with an HR director last week for a FTSE 100 company. She said this was the hardest bit of work she's ever done in the last six months is to create the, the, the back-to-work roadmap to enable colleagues, you know, to find a way back. Yeah, right.
0: Brilliant. And how how's your work involved, like, in, in all
1: this? Yeah, so I think that, well, purpose has definitely come, you know, to the forefront. So having kind of worked on this for 15 years, it's very interesting. It's very, very topical. Um, And then I think, look, I I do a lot of work around the concept of psychological safety, uh, which was very much pioneered by an amazing uh, Harvard professor, Amy Edmondson, that wrote a book, The Fearless Organization. And really the premise of psychological safety is creating the conditions for people to have voice, speak up, Uh, and, and really be able to work in environments where they do not fear Uh, negative consequences. It also really got popularized because three years ago Google conducted an internal research project called Aristotle, which was really finding what were the most high-performing teams in Google and what were the characteristics. And they thought, you know, it was going to be the ones with the big, the big brains and, and all of that. But actually, again, the number one factor was psychological safety, where they had teams that, again, were able to create those conditions and environments where people could, you know, support, they could challenge, they could bring cognitive diversity in, in other words, think differently, do different ways of, of working. So I would suggest right now, psychological safety is probably one of the topic, key topics along with diversity and inclusion. And again, you know, this year that has been absolutely top of the agenda for people to really understand what does inclusion mean uh, and how to embrace that. Brilliant. Awesome, Grace.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, as we all know, Ben, most of us are working inside. Okay, so and then the, the home becomes the work environment. So when we, when I think of our topic today, now I can't help but think about the home as well. So that would mean for some of us who have relationships, husband, partners, how how do we find a way to make sure that, you know, for, for some of us who know our purpose, we'll be able to like kind of like manage it in a balanced way that things will be purposely is still directed and be connected individually to our individual purpose and to the company's purpose or whoever we're working for.
1: Yeah, look, thank you. I really appreciate that. And I absolutely acknowledge the conditions that people are needing to to manage at the moment. So, look, I think it would be useful and it'd be great. Look, I really appreciate having the team on the call and please, you know, absolutely feel free to to come in firstly look everything I share they're just ideas so I'm not here to be right about anything but you know I, I I'm definitely you know my my intent with everything I share is just to stimulate some curiosity so when you're looking at purpose there are three steps in terms of the discovery of purpose that I've been able to kind of define simple but not easy uh, so number one is to reflect upon when you're at your best you know, purpose is very, very much to do with when you're truly energized, uh, when you're fulfilled and when you're happy. So step one is to think about, so when are those times being when you've been really fulfilled, sometimes described as kind of being in the zone or being in flow. On a personal note, for me, that would be things like, uh, in fact, my writing. Yeah, I, I love to write. Why? Because I am I love the creativity. I, I love to travel, obviously, very limited right now. Why? Because I love the exploration. And, and the learning element of being in new cultures and meeting new people, and then I, I love sports. Yeah, why? Because I it, it kind of activates my passion. So step number one: when are you at your best? And then step number two is why. What what, what do those activities and events mean to you? So purpose is all about the the discovery of meaning. Yeah. So once you've identified the activities, then you need to make meaning of them. So like I just said, sport for me is about passion. Travel is about learning and writing is about creativity. The third step, which is the real challenge, you kind of put that in a melting pot and go, well, you know, if you were living and breathing, you know, learning, creativity, passion, then what? What would that mean for you? And the way that I articulate my purpose is to enable truth. And what I mean by that is that what really is most meaningful for me is the discovery of truth. I don't define that truth, but like in my work, I'm always about whether it's for a company, a team, an individual, what's real for you? What is authentic? What really matters? As a father, you know, I've got three children. And for me, it's about helping them understand what's real for them. You know, what is the best version of them? Yes, I've got a point of view, but my, my commitment is to help them. So I think once you have an indication of purpose, and we take home, Yeah, what is the truth? Like my version would be, what is the truth for me to create the type of home, even in very adverse conditions that would resonate, that would be true for me? And so what purpose does, it gives you a bit of a sense of direction, sometimes described as a North Star that enables you to go in that direction. You can then apply it to a relationship. What really is the purpose and the essence of our relationship? And when times are really tough and when we're really getting on each other's nerves and you just want to quit, walk out, give up, whatever, actually you've got a bigger purpose there to help you navigate all the challenges that you face.
2: So Ben, so what kind of mindset would be beneficial in order to really keep remembering or ourselves about our purpose
1: Yeah. no thank you grace and so look what when, when i'm looking at mindset what i often do is i ask people you know upon awakening you know their first moments of the day what is on your mind so if anybody on the call you want to give me an example of like a regular day normal day when you wake up what are you the, what are those first thoughts on your mind anybody got an example
2: Oh, for me, Ben. My first, the first thought in my mind is, what I need to do to yeah. keep myself happy. Thank you. <laughs> I wake so up. Not,
1: now. Most people, absolutely, most. most people, most of the time, upon awakening, their first thoughts of what have what have I got to do today, and and very, we're very much governed by a to-do list. And so whether that's, you know, uh, uh, you know, the meetings, the emails, the tasks, getting the dogs up, tea or coffee, the kids, whatever. And look, they're good decisions, but they are a to do list. And I think what we've got to remember at the end of the day, we're called human beings, not human doings for a reason. Um, But what happens is literally we become conditioned. And we, li- we just function on what's called autopilot. So neuroscientists estimate, I'm not a neuroscientist, but I find the study of the brain fascinating. So they estimate we're having to process about 11 million bits of data in any given second, which is a lot of information to take in through our senses. The conscious mind can only handle about 50 and that's on a good day. So what we do is we do a mental shortcut in order to preserve time and energy and we function on autopilot. Our to-do list is that autopilot. What have I got to do today? So the shift and being really purposeful and really deliberate is rather than saying, what have I got to do today? The question is, how do I want to be today? And when you talk about things like, I want to be happy. Yeah. I want to be purpose-led. I want to be present. I want to be real. I want to be authentic. I want to be inspired. Yeah. Um This literally causes you to make some different choices. And and what happens as a consequence of that and the muscle and the discipline that you've got to develop is to become what I call very intentional about how you develop your mindset. You know, that, that, that is one thing in our gift is that we can actually control, we can choose our mindset. We can choose to be on autopilot and just do, or we can be very deliberate and intentional about how do we want to be. So as an example, to make it practical, when I was really studying this, and everything I share is based on my own personal, you know, it's like, well, what's worked for me, was every day I wrote in my little journal, how do I want to be today? Because I could tell you what an amazing, glorious future I was going to have in one year, three years, five years, 10 years. But in the meantime, I was miserable. So I actually had to learn. I had to learn how to be today, not tomorrow, not on a Friday night, not at the weekend, not when COVID's over, not when we get back to normal, not, no, today. And that is a real, real discipline to develop. But if you do, for me, that's where your freedom lies. Because then your freedom isn't about on money. Like a lot of people I work with, you know, I ask them, how do you want to be happy? Or what's it going to take? It's usually to do with money. Yeah. Or maybe a role or a position or a promotion or some, usually they're external factors, you know, a location, a relationship, a bigger home, a bigger car, another wardrobe, another bag. I mean, it's all great stuff. You know, I mean, I love money. At least you can arrive at your problems in style. But it's not a solution. It's not an answer. We, you know, if money was the recipe to all happiness, then, you know, everybody rich will be happy. We know that's not the case. And social study, you know, science shows that as well, which is not to say don't go out and make money. Brilliant. But it's not your purpose. Yeah. So so what I then do is rather than wait, yeah, rather than wait, actually every day, how can you be very deliberate? and intentional about how do you want to be today?
2: Thank you. i pass it on to Carl.
3: Hi, Ben. That was great. Um, I, I suppose um, I have a philosophical sort of question that might, um, that might differentiate. Um, my question is, um, does one discover their purpose or do they choose their
1: purpose? no look Carl. it's a great point I I I tell you where I've I've arrived at this so I've been through this whole journey yeah so initially I thought that one day I would find my purpose that somehow there was going to be this magical mythical moment and I, I remember on one occasion I was in India and I'd gone and I was on this kind of spiritual quest and I'd gone to Dharamsala to visit the Dalai Lama and you know and anyway then I was in this northern town in India called Lucknow and it was very industrial and there was one spiritual teacher there called Papaji and I remember getting up at four thirty in the morning going off to Darshan which is morning prayers and there were all these westerners sitting there and I was you know really really searching for purpose and um, remember sitting you know at his feet and all these people worshiping him. And somebody asked a question and he just responded with a laugh and it really irritated me. I was like, look, I've come all all over the world. Here am I. And you're just laughing. It's like, give me a break. And I got up and I left and I got an early flight back to London. I was done. And I remember that, you know, that was what, nearly 30 years ago. It was a really pivotal moment for me of actually recognizing that my purpose isn't out there in the world, but it's within me. Now, in terms of therefore discovery or choice, um, and again, I, I really prefer preface this, this is just my experience, yeah. Is um I've then worked with the idea that you can you can make up a purpose. You you can just choose a purpose. So great, you want your purpose to be happiness, choose it. You want your purpose to make a difference in the world. Great, choose it. Uh, You know, and I tried that on for size. It just didn't feel very real. And so where it really took me was this discovery, which is far more of an internal process. It's a lot tougher. I'll give you one quick example. I was coaching a guy. He was a, a chief financial officer. And um, he was very—he one of the most cynical people I'd ever worked with. And he, he'd he attended my program, Leading with Purpose. It was a three-day quest. Um, and he'd been there because of the company. He just sat there for three days, like really irritated. Yeah. But there was, there was there was a spark about him. And we kept in touch. Five years later, that was in the Middle East. He was in Dubai. He came back to England. We reconnected. And we started this kind of dialogue about purpose. And then he got more and more promoted. And then he's running the whole of the UK for this company. and uh, he, But he was not happy. He was very frustrated. And we really dug deep. And for the next three years, I held his feet to the fire in terms of that discovery, just digging, digging, questioning, reflecting. What did it mean? What did it look like? And ultimately he really arrived at his own sense of purpose, but it was an internal matter and it was a discovery. That's my humble experience. I'm not saying it's the way, the right way, everybody has their way, but that's been my experience. Right,
3: thanks. Um, Probably the reason why I bring that up is is because um, maybe I, in my own purpose, <clears throat> Am I discovering something that's there? it's 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 already laid out? or is it something that I create? because you know we're co we're we're co-creators with the universe yeah. and so it's I find myself thinking that there's something already there, but actually, no, I'm actually creating it at the same time. i affect I affect something. so so my own purpose would be something so deep, I suppose that. I'm I'm discovering it and creating it perhaps at the same time. Um, I,
1: I I think look again just my experience of that. Like if you take a brand for instance, you know, and you really look at it more through a kind of brand lens or a company lens. For me, the question is, you know, what is that DNA? What is that essence? I believe that exists already in the brand. And actually part of the discovery is to really get into the heart and the essence of why do you exist? Why are you here? What is that value? What is that USP? what is, And then the creation of that and bringing that to the forefront. So it is a very, very creative process from that. And it's a co-creation that, you know, you'll be co-creating with colleagues, with customers, with the world, stakeholders, etc. So I, I think it's... Uh, It's a both end. It's not a, for me, it's not an either or that you just discover it. No, it is all about the co-creation. And I do believe within purpose, that already does exist. And I go as far, and this again, this is very personal to me, but I go as far as saying that part of your life's journey is to discover your purpose and your life's joy is to live it. And in my humble experience, most people haven't had the opportunity to discover their purpose. And then in terms of the expression and the living and the breathing of that, it just brings a whole other dimension to life.
3: Fantastic. I, I suppose that the, the whole COVID thing I'm finding, it's um, it forces one almost to go inside to find their purpose. Um, and, and I'm sure you have something to say on that and then I'll, I'll pass it on to, to Mary. Thanks, Ben.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. I appreciate it.
4: Yeah, I appreciate all the points that you've brought up so far and purpose is something that really interests me. And, you know, being a pharmacist, you know, dispensing medications for, you know, depression or anxiety or things like that. You know, a lot of times I think for, you know, some people not having that purpose or not having, you know, that sense of like, what's motivating you, what's exciting you um, can be be a definitely a comp- component of that as well and and also you know hearing some people speak about is it you know something that you go when you find you know your purpose or you know, like carl you were talking about um, i think that's that's really interesting too like your purpose might be something that changes throughout your life but if you're you know if you're doing the steps um that you you know that you mentioned ben about what is you know what are your values reflecting on what brings you know meaning to you that that's definitely going to be, you know, part of your journey and help you to to find those things. And I wanted to ask a question about, um, we talked about, you know, fear is what holding holds people back. um, Or, you know, as you you put it, psychological safety, and whether it's in the workplace or just in your own life, wherever you are at home, and what are things that you have found that helps people um, to not be um, living, you know, kind of in that state of fear, but bringing more to um, state of purpose and um, mindfulness, because we know how much that can be really life changing for people.
1: Yeah, look, thank you, Mary. I mean, look, that it's a, that's a huge, huge uh, question, and um, again, let 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 me personalize it because I I just think it's easier for me just to speak based on my experience with that. So. Look, I I have spent probably the majority of my life in fear, um, and I now some of those fears have never manifested, but the majority of have. Yeah, so I, I've experienced you know incredible adversity. I've lost pretty much everything of value in my life at times, uh, whether that be you know in terms of relationships and going through divorce and the impact of that on my family, my children, my health, financial, business, you know, everything. And I think that in... So one element for me is I genuinely believe that fear is just part of life's experience. And if you fear fear, then that's really scary. So one thing I've learned is how can I come to accept the presence of fear, that fear exists. And actually, if you really understand, you know, and I'm not, again, you know, a medic, but, you know, fear has a function. And and so actually, if we can really understand that, I personally have found that very helpful in terms of my own sense of survival. So, and, you know, my stress response and fight-flight and then, you know, neurochemically how, you know, the... What's happening for me? So that I found very, very helpful. I think then in terms of... So step number one for me would be the understanding of fear, the acceptance of that. Then, then of course, how do I work with it? Now, I'm very, very proactive every day in how I work with fear. So So every day I pray. I start the day with prayer. Now, that's my... That's my conscious connection with what I call a higher power. And everybody, I'm not saying anybody has to have a higher power or their version of God, but that's my understanding. And for me, what that does, again, it just, if you like, prayer for me is like my version of having a conversation with God. And I literally, I talk out loud. (laughs) And that's just what works for me. And literally, it gets me a bit more connected And it helps me just process that. You know, then I practice my own form of mindfulness. You know, I've meditated consciously for over 30 years, but I'm a total novice. But again, that's my version of listening. So if you think I'm talking to God and then I'm listening and I'm being present with it and my mind goes crazy and that's okay, And I just focus on my breathing and, you know, and again, that's my. And then I exercise and, you know, I exercise every day. And in lockdown, you know, I've got a little bike and it's crucial, absolutely essential. So it takes me about an hour and a half to get up in the morning, which is a bit annoying. But I've just come to accept that. That's just my routine and I need that. Yeah. Then in my work, my, my work is a very and I feel very, very blessed. You know, I love what I do. I, um, it's very, very linked with purpose. And it really, really helps me manage fear. You know, if big, why? Because it helps me serve other people. If, you know, essentially the translation of my purpose in work is helping other people, help people. So every day, if I'm helping other people, that really helps me manage my own fear. (laughs) So I'm very, very focused. I'm very driven. I'm passionate. I love it. I get hugely energized by it, but I know why I'm doing it. You know, and then with my kids, you know, I, um, again, as a father, you know I, I'm always there's always a bit of me worried about my kids and how they're doing and all of that, and again I, I just have to focus on how can I help them, and uh, you know and most of the me the time that means get out of the way and let them be themselves, give them space. Uh, so again, I have to be very mindful and conscious about that. So you know, genuinely, I am probably deliberately managing fear most of my waking hours. and I've at now having said that there are absolutely some other component bits which I mentioned earlier so my values you know that that really helps ground me when I'm being very very deliberate about what matters to me and how do I live with my values my strengths where I get my energy from you know, as you can probably tell, I get a bit excited and animated and I'm passionate about stuff, but that's just me. If I'm not being me and playing in my strengths, I can tell you, then my fear really gets activated. So, playing in my strengths is a crucial, crucial element also of managing my fear. I also get a huge amount of support. So, I have a whole team around me coaches, mentors, peers. Uh, people that I draw upon. Um, you, know, the, 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 they, you know They guide me, they inspire me, they help me. Uh, I literally probably have about a team of about 10 people around me that I can draw upon that also really help me. So none of this, none of this I do alone. Friendship, community, spaces like this, connecting with like-minded people. These are lifelines for me in terms of how I manage my fear. And you know as well if if medication helps take it you know i really see medication as a real source of compassion for instance my mother you know suffered a lot of clinical depression she was on medication the majority of her adult life and i and it really helped me learn to realize that you know from again from a neurochemical perspective and balancing whether it's your serotonin levels or whatever, then absolutely, medicine plays a very, very helpful part.
4: Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree to, to that. And you know, in you know, in pharmacy school, I learned those, those traditional kind of options, and then also just after that on my own, I find it exciting to learn how much your mindset and other options can play in as well too. And uh, also, what you're saying about not being afraid of even fear itself, and it might just be a emo- emotion we have. And how do we how do we deal with that and not let it hold us back?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think that look, if you're not afraid of fear, you're free. I mean, that that's probably my definition of freedom because you know you you just accept fear as part of the human condition, and you know we. But but if you learn to live with it and you actually learn to harness that energy, then I think again a lot of creativity manifest from that and um, so I I think as well and for me you mentioned you know the concept of psychological safety again I think that that is about let's create conditions where we're not afraid of fear and just recognize fear is present anybody in my experience I mean if anybody says you they're fearless for me I just don't buy that you know but if anybody says to you they've learned how to live with fear I get that
4: yeah, to use that energy instead to create something positive. Yeah. yeah. Uh Hartman, do you, do you want to pass yes. it
5: over to you? Thank you so much, uh, Mary. Uh Ben, it's um it's an amazing topic, and uh, because um I'm I'm uh I'm self I'm self-employed since 1949. And um let's say it this way concerning fear, I have um invented the pharaoh position, yeah. You lay in the bed, you're sitting, you're laying in the bed like this, you don't go to the door, you don't go to the phone, and <laughs> you're waiting that the day is passing because you are full in fear, <laughs> yeah? And um, the situation is you don't know how to get out of it, yeah? And uh, the interesting thing concerning fear is that it comes and you are locked in the 4D, you're locked in in dialogues, you're you locked in your ego, you're the whole time trying to, to have right, yeah? But you you waste your time and this is uh, how I how I perceive it and um, I want to share how I manage it and um, I made it I, I saw a TV, I saw a movie and there saw uh, there was the scene of the anonymous alcoholics yeah and the anonymous alcoholics say my name is XYZ I am anonymous alcoholics and so I say my name is XYZ I have fear. I have fear and I go on and then I, I feel the fear but I move on slowly but I do it and this works well yeah it works quite well yeah so um, this is what I want to share but I want to talk about um, concerning purpose and I want to talk about our soul contracts. and um, I want to share my personal uh, my personal story about the soul contract, and this is, uh, it's quite it's quite interesting, in my opinion, uh, because when I was 16, uh, I had an artist teacher, and I came from a traditional uh, family, and she was so very alternative. Yeah? Car was painted and all that stuff, and I didn't like her at all. But um, one time she invited us to her house, and uh, I was 15 or 16, and her man. Her husband was an international intermediary consultant and he told us what he was doing the whole time and the sitting in the uh, on the on the mobile phone and was talking with the whole world and i said yes that's it and I was 15 years old and then i made a bank clerk um, uh, apprenticeship it was boring it was only betrayal i figured out i didn't want then i then i wanted to study economics the economics i Met people from the music school of of Cologne, and then I was a lot of together with these people. So I became in an esoteric direction, and so I struggled my whole life till I was forty three. And then I got from someone um, a contract from Tanzania about copper, and they said, "What what the hell I shall do with these things?" Yeah, I don't know. It was like sending to you, and then I, someone else came to me and gave me five telephone numbers. I said, "What kind of telephone numbers are they?" I don't know. Yeah, who are they? I don't. Know. From whom they do? do you get them? You're yeah, from this man. You know him. He is. He's quite. He's quite high-ranking man. And then I called these people, whether I don't have any idea, and offered the copper business because I said, "Let's try." And the funny thing is, one said, "This is toilet paper, Mr. Schumacher. You can can throw it in the dustbin. And I said, okay, I have a pen. Give me what I have to write down on the toilet paper and I make a contract. And the funny thing was, in this moment, in this very moment, I felt the energy when I was 15 years old and I knew I have to go this way. I knew it. And it doesn't matter whether, whether I was broke or it doesn't matter. It was only the purpose was there. And I would like to know how important is the youth of us for the contract do you see there any correlation do you see that in the youth for example in the teenager time do we have there the the vision of our contract which we lose on our way to become an adult
1: wow <laughs> I love you. You're, you're asking very easy questions. Um, look again, just as a father, if I start by answering as a father, um, so my, you know, I've got a daughter of 19, two boys, 15 and 11. I, and, and I used to work a lot with young people. So I ran a program called protein, which was personal social education for young people. Um, I would love to think that at that age you are able, that you've got the capability to really kind of listen to and tap into your soul contract, your soul calling. Um, But I'm not sure. And um, why? Because I think at that age, firstly, you're not that interested. You've got other things on your mind. Uh, which are far more exciting and um, I'm just not sure if you've really kind of, if there's a, a compelling need enough and unless, unless for whatever reason, um, there is some, you know, extraordinary event that happens. So for instance, last night I was just watching um, caught on the news. Um, malala who was you know shot by a taliban she's just signed this contract with apple tv you know to make documentaries and all of that now you know she was a teenager she got shot people thought she was dead and you know it's an extraordinary story so maybe with that level of extremity and severity of of an experience that might move you sooner you know to really kind of discover that sense of soul and why you're here and how you want to express that having having said that and something i i feel very very strongly about because in my heart i'm an educationalist and I, I really rebel against our traditional education because I get it, you know, we need to develop cognitive capacity and the ability to think and process and problem solve. And, you know, and it's good to understand context and background and history and geography and math and English and all that. But really, I mean, you know, I asked my son every day, he's 15, he's doing what are, in this country we call GCSEs, exams. And how is your day boring? How is your day boring? How was your day boring? And I have to really agree with him. I get it. If I had to learn all of that stuff, I would be really bored too. But if I had to go to classes on purpose, on soul contract, on destiny, on you know, managing fear, on energy, on vibrant health, on nature, on a you know, all this stuff. Now I'm biased because that's all the stuff I love, so I'd be really fired up, but it would be very, very different. So I think there's somewhere you know, as ever, that kind of middle ground of how can we help our next generation get there quicker. I'll give you a quick example on that. Not quite teenagers, but but, um, kind of that one next generation. So I was working for a company and they'd identified their kind of uh, high potential talent. So this was a talent pool. It was actually in Asia, Middle East, Africa and India. And there was about 25 people identified, fast-tracked, for management uh, roles, um, and I remember having a real argument with the head of talent because I I wanted to do that discovery of purpose, and I got and, and they told me no, they're not ready, they're too young. I'm like, you got to be kidding me! You know what? You got you got to wait till you're forty to f- to find your purpose. Give me a break! So I really, really they said so no, they haven't had enough life experience. Well, I'm not going to run the program. Okay. So we, we we negotiated. So, and I remember distinctly, there was this amazing woman from India who shared her story and that when she was uh, about 15, she was sent to a convent up a mountain in, the, in, in in Northern India run by nuns. She hated it. She argued with her parents every holiday. She wanted to, you know, go back home and they were like, no, no, no. She ran away to New Delhi at 15 in India with nothing. And she was so bright. And she, she got work. She self-educated herself. She identified the top university in New Delhi to go in. The industry was hospitality, to study hospitality. She missed out getting in by like one grade. She kept going. She got in. Uh, and then here she was you know, this next generational talent. And as an example, uh, the chairman was visiting. They shared this story of how the chairman of the company was visiting. Normally when the chairman visits, everybody's terrified, they all run away. This next generation of youth and talent, they went straight up to the chairman. Hi, how are you? They were chatting, sharing stories. To this day, this was like years ago. I can vividly remember the impact of this young woman. And and I mean, unbelievable stuff. So, age for me, you know, there are no there are no limits, there are no barriers with that. However, I think the way you you cultivate and develop that, I think one needs to be very mindful about it.
5: Yeah, yeah. And um, it's uh, the interesting thing is concerning purpose is or if you because my podcast has the name "Go Your Own Path." Because if you go your own path, this is not the highway. This is going through the jungle, falling, 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 and go for go further. And um, and uh, for this reason, I want to talk, I I ask you to talk also about the importance of failure, because um, it is so interesting. Uh, <laughs> I made my, my my life so many failures, but. So, for example, also the international international media work. I worked for three, four, four, five years, and then I got. I I, I was really in a situation where I said, "Okay, there's one, there's one. uh, There are two positions. The one position is in three months you buy an island. In the other one, you you go you go waitering. uh, Waitering, and and I was I was going waitering instead of go uh, instead of buying an island. Um, But the interesting thing is." When I dropped this and I said I don't want to do it anymore because I felt very let's say I was very sad about it the situation is it comes back and then the quality is a much higher level and for this reason please tell us more about failure and the importance of failure
1: yeah um again let me personalize it so you know, I I, I failed at most things in life. I mean, I failed in my marriage, I failed as a dad, I failed, you know, in assignments with work. Again, for me, it's just part of the human condition. And uh, now, I don't deliberately go out looking to fail. (laughs) Um, But it, it is just part of the human experience. Now, historically, you know, I, again, I used to be terrified of failing. Uh, and, th- and that was a real barrier for me. So, you know, quick example, you know, like writing books, I always wanted to write books, didn't think I could write books, thought I'd you know fail, somehow managed to get a, my first book contract. I was contracted to write 60,000 words, I wrote 120,000 and threw them away because they were awful. But I learned, I learned. Yeah. So for me, genuinely, you know, where I see failing, it, it is learning. And I think the critical thing for me is, in, um, and again, this is my real hope, is, look, if, if, I, if I make a mistake, if I fail, um, I've never done it. I've never done it deliberately. I have never, I can genuinely say I've never gone out there to deliberately fail. Um, But I've absolutely made mistakes that have manifested in themselves in failure. Um, I think so for me, the distinction is be mindful whether you're deliberately going out to fail (laughs) or failing is an unintended consequence. And if so, what's the learning? And for me, that's the critical thing. If you can take the learning and become a better version of you as a consequence of that, then genuinely everybody will benefit from that even if you've caused harm along the way you will be able to make amends and uh, and and people will benefit
5: thank you so much please zahir would you go
1: on? yeah i
0: know i know we've only got a short time left with you ben so i just want to take this opportunity to say thank you so much uh, for joining us and um you know i suppose uh um parting us with your knowledge and wisdom and experience um one last question i have uh, unless anyone wants to jump in uh what would you like to see happen from here on in like everything that all the events have happened over the last 12 18 months uh what advice would you have for people um who've come out of this or are still struggling with um finding their sense of purpose or direction yeah and
1: uh, yeah i and, yeah. I, I think, look, a few, and it's thank you, it's a, it's a, it's a great, uh, again, just a great point. I think number one for me would be about community. What, what, what I would really love to see coming out of this is a much, much greater sense of community that we're all in this together rather than the age of individualism that we've had where it's all about me, me, me. And, and I think, God, if if all of us, all of us can just become a bit more human as a consequence of this for me and really tap into the qualities of humanity. That'd be an amazing thing. And I'll give you a really practical example on this. So I do a lot of work with our London Underground. So London Underground, you know, it it is our Metro service Uh, at its peak. They serve five million people a day. It's an extraordinary operation. And I'm very, very fortunate to work with an amazing leader that runs that operation. They look after eleven thousand colleagues. They serve They keep London moving. You took if you took the underground away, London would not operate, and people's livelihoods, the whole infrastructure would collapse. Um, and this individual, he he he's transitioning. He's stepping up in role. We actually had a session yesterday, and the key message that the the team took from him was to lead with humanity. So I think if there was one thing to really, really come out of all the adversity and the hardship and the suffering that people have gone through, is let's, let's just really bring humanity back, which manifests itself through community, through supporting each other, caring for each other, being there for each other. I think out of that, then genuinely, you will just feel more on purpose.
0: And could you please explain uh, to our viewers your your book, Purpose?
1: Yeah, look, it's just, uh, uh, it's my experience, you know, just, just kind of everything that I share, everything's in there. So you've got the philosophy, Carl, on purpose, you've got the methodology and the approach. Um, And so anybody that's interested in learning more for yourself, for those of you that work in teams, for those that that you run companies, it's all in the book Purpose.
0: That's brilliant. Anyone want to say anything quick before we let Ben go? <laughs> <laughs> um,
5: a moment, Yes, I would like, um, it was a pleasure. It was a real pleasure talking to you because, um, uh, yeah, because I, it was very personal and I, I really, uh, I really appreciate that. This was, um, it was very touching. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Okay.
1: Look, I appreciate it. It's been uh, uh, genuinely uh, a a real pleasure to spend time with you all. Thank you for all your commitment and your work and your service. And I really look forward to future contact. Awesome. Thank you. bye well, team. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.